You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Where's uh, where's Mark Turow at? Where's Mark at? He's right there. Bro, I'm glad you like sisters, bro. So, uh, sisters, if you guys are free for a date, my man Mark's there. It's ready to encourage. Well, guys, it's good to be here. My name is Daniel Kim. I have the privilege, along with Betty Collins, to uh, serve in our Alive ministry. Uh, in case you're wondering what Alive is, that's our new singles name. So we're not the South Bay Singles. We're actually called the Alive ministry. And that stands for All Living in Victory Every Day. Okay? So we wanted a cool name. So that's what we have. Um, I have a quick announcement before I go ahead and get started. So you guys remember when we took those surveys across the region? So if you, we do have the results. If you guys want a copy of it, we have them in the lobby uh, on the way out if you guys want a, a copy, okay? So that's there if you like. Um, but guys, it's good to be here with you guys. Last time I was here, uh, I wasn't married, and now I am. So it's a little bit different. So I'm a married man. My wife is not here. She's uh, coming from work. But uh, uh, it's been great. It's been a great adventure. And I thought I'd show you guys a few pictures uh, that I have. There it is. So that's the first one. So we got thanks. Thanks, Betty. So uh, um, those are cognac brown shoes, by the way. Uh, I really like those. Aldo. Aldo brand. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, this is about four or five months ago. And uh, this is the wedding day. We had it in Anaheim Hills. I don't see Steve Marici here. He wasn't feeling too well. So we could all probably say a quick prayer for him. But he officiated the wedding. It was great. I mean, it was amazing. I had my families there. Uh, if you guys know my story, you know, I, I grew up in foster care. Uh, I have an adoptive family, and I also have my biological family. And everybody was there at the same time. And I was kind of nervous. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to what's going to happen. I don't know. What, what, and they're not all disciples. So I was like, amen. God definitely hooked it up. So that's uh, us there. And uh, I think Steve is praying for us. And we actually had our first kiss at our wedding. And uh, so we were up here the entire way. And um, yes, give it up. Uh, but when I tell my friends and my coworkers at work, they don't believe me. They're like, no way. Like, there's no way that you guys were pure. They're like, tell the truth, man. You don't have to lie. And I'm like, dude, I'm serious. They're like, how is that possible? And I just told them, and like, you know, I honor Jesus, and I want to put God first, and I want to honor my purity. Amen? So my family members can't believe it either. So I tell, I tell them that's the truth. Uh, here's our family members. We have all the sides here. It was a big family here. Um, so you have my Korean side, the other side, and Nerissa's side there. Uh, there's, these are our mighty men and women who are our groomsmen and bridesmaids. Uh, they were awesome. They did all the work for us. They helped cleaned up. I heard it was like a record cleanup. After we left on the send-off, I heard everything got cleaned up. Thank you, Rachel Kalik. Uh, she was heading it up for us, and uh, I think it got cleaned up in like 30 minutes, so it was great. Um, so I wanted to show you a couple of pictures. Here's our honeymoon. We went to Thailand. It was cool. So if you look at it, it looks nice. It looks green, tall buildings. Here's their freeway. It looks the same. It's the same. The 405 doesn't change. You go to a different country. It, the cars are just different colors. So that's the, <laughs> the traffic came with us. This is uh, from our hotel resort. 
and we got to see the sun rise and sunset. Man, it was hard to leave that place. I was counting the days when we had to leave and go back to work. This is here. Uh, we're on a boat about to go into cave diving somewhere. So it was really nice, right? So whenever I get stressed out about life, I just come and look at these pictures. It helps. And I wanted to say, I want to preface this comment. So we had a great time. It was super fun. We stayed there for 10 nights, 10 days, and amazing. We had all kinds of food. It was so good. And um, Norris is a big foodie. So am I, but she's a bigger foodie. And she's like, babe, I've been watching YouTube, and we really got to try these street vendors before we go because we got to watch. We got to go. And I was like, okay, babe. So the 10th night, we decided to go to the street vendors, and this is where we end up eating. And so mind you, everywhere we went, we were at the hotel, the resorts, we were at restaurants, so they costed normal money. We go to the street vendor, we got some pork ribs, and some slices of tomato. I don't know why we have that with ribs, but that's there, and some corn, and some lettuce, and more lettuce. And then they also gave us crab as well. All of this costed like $4. So I was like, okay, this sounds too good to be true. Sure enough, you know, we're there at 10 o'clock at night. By the time we get back to our hotel rooms at midnight, our stomachs start hurting. We get fevers. She starts vomiting. I'm like, oh, shoot, hurry up, babe. I got to go next. I'm like, this is really bad. Remember, we're on our honeymoon. And let's just say we didn't put our best foot forward. We put our worst foot forward. So we got close real quick. You guys know the vows to sickness and to health? We definitely did that in our first week. There was no shyness or anything like that. So guess what, though? The next day was our 16-hour flight back home. So I'll spare you guys the details, but it was miserable. So we were in the middle seat and the aisle seat. And, man, I was shivering. I had chills. They wouldn't turn off the AC. Every time they brought out food, I wanted to go throw up. I mean, it probably happened 20 times. And so everyone's always saying, like, oh, you're so lucky, DK, that it happened at the end of your trip. No way. I would have wasted one of our days there just to stay at the hotel just to go to the bathroom when I want to go. Guys, it's a terrible feeling when you got to use the restroom and there's a line on this big flight. So it was it was bad. But we had a lot of fun. And one of my friends were calling me here. Um, so, but, you know, and then when we came back, just a long story short, we came back. I wanted to just kind of ride it out. She said, babe, we should go to the hospital. She's the RN. So I said, okay, sure, you're the nurse. We go, and it finds out we have food poisoning, and we actually had salmonella strands in our body. Salmonella. So I'm glad we went because our fevers got worse, our temperatures got worse, our pulse got worse. And so they gave us these, like, horse pills, like, this big. And this stuff is not supposed to be good taking it too long. And they only gave me, guess how many pills they gave us? Like, three. So I was supposed to take one a day for three days. That's how, that's how big these pills were. And then after that, it was gone. So anyways, it's good to be back. Just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, I miss you guys. Uh, if you guys ever go travel in a third world country, please, please stay away or be careful with the street food, okay? So uh, we're going to go ahead and kick us off and start off here with our book. Have you guys all read the chapters? Who read the first two secrets here? Be honest. Be honest. Okay, so this side of the room, couple over here. So guys, I really want to encourage you guys to read it. I don't know if Martin mentioned it last week, but we really want to read it. And the church has discounted the book. Was it $5 or $10? $5. So it's a super discounted rate. So I encourage you guys to get it. It's a really good book. And uh, so Martin Chiris last week did the overview of the book. And today we're going to talk about the first two secrets. Okay. So the first two secrets, or well, the first secret is 
It's destroying love. That's the first secret. So when I read it, I was like, destroying love? What does that mean? Well, it talks about sin. All right? And before we talk about sin, you know, when I think about destroying love in the Bible and how somebody's sin impacted somebody, out of all the characters in the Bible, I think of David and Bathsheba. I think of Samson, right, Delilah. But you know one that sticks out to me is Judas. Because Judas is the biggest one out of all. His sin took Jesus' life, right? And when I think about Jesus, I did a character study on him. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was hand-chosen. He walked. He prayed. He ate with Jesus. He was with them the entire ministry for three years, preaching and casting out demons. And so they spent a lot of time together. And starting out, Judas loved Jesus from the beginning, didn't he? And don't we start off loving Jesus? Don't we start off as Christians loving God with all our hearts? Right? We do. But somewhere along the way, something happens. Somewhere along the way, we mess up. We sin. We fall short. And so that's what we're going to be talking about first. So sin, what is sin? In the Greek, it's hermardia. Uh, that means it's an archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark. You guys have all heard this, right? So if I was like an archer and I shot the target, I would miss, and therefore they called that a sin. And so when we take aim at life and we miss the perfect life that we were created for, we sin. We sin. It started with Adam and Eve to David, and it continued. But guys, sin is more than that. Sin is breaking the law of God. In fact, sin is breaking the heart of God. So the first love secret is very straightforward. It's destroying our capacity to love occurs because of sin. When sin gets into any of the equation, when it gets into your relationships, it destroys, right? We start hurting the people closest to us. It starts off very little, and then all of a sudden it spreads and it destroys. Sin takes no bystanders. And what's the opposite of sin? What do you guys think? Was that? Well, if you guys read the chapter, so it tells you. So opposite of sin is love, right? Because Jesus and God is the opposite of sin. So it's love. Love is what we know to be supreme. Love is what we know to protect. So we have to do all we can to protect it. You know, I want to show you a quick illustration here from the book. So here's a cup. You know, it's like having a cup filled with water. Once it's filled to the top, you can't put any more water in, right? I thought I'd show this up on the slide instead of in real life because I didn't want to make a mess. But once you put the water to the top, there's no more room left for water. The only way you can add more stuff in is empty the water out, right, and put more in. And in the same way, that's what the book talks about. It talks about how our life is the cup, and what we're filled up with is sin. And in order to feel God's love, in order to feel uh, radical love, we have to empty out our sin. Does that make sense? So we can't have both. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and get started here. In John chapter 12, verse 3 to 6. John chapter 12, verse 3 to 6. John chapter 12, verse 3 to 6. You guys there? Okay, cool. If not, you can follow up with me on, on, on the slide. It says, Then Mary took a, about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. All the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas was the what? The treasurer of Jesus' ministry, right? He was in charge of all the money. And I can just imagine if I was in Judas' situation, like, man, I had all the money in front of me, all the gold, all the donations. And I could just imagine disciples coming up to him like, hey, bro, can I, I buy a new brand new uh, uh, set of sandals? And he'd be like, no, nah, man, you got to go put more miles on that. Hey, bro, can I go get a meal at, at the market? He's like, bro, you're, you got to fast. I could just imagine him just saying things, not giving the money out for whatever reason. And, you know, whatever they needed money on. But in verse 5, I want you guys to pay attention. It says, Judas says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. How would Judas know that? How would Judas even know that that perfume could have been sold for a year's worth of wages? How would he know? I had to think about that, right? You know, sometimes I walk in at the church and I'll come into midweek. I got brothers saying, bro, where'd you get that? H&M? $12? I'm like, no, I didn't get it there. They're like, bro, $20 at, at Macy's? Like, some people really just know the prices of what things cost, right? I was just trying to think about it. I was like, bro, I didn't get it there. That's why I'm not telling you so everyone can't wear what I wear. But some people know. And maybe Judas knew. Maybe he knew. But I don't think so. I think it was actually because he was someone who was really good with money. I think he probably knew what things costed. And that's probably why he was entrusted with the money. You know, in verse 6, it says, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas's sin was greed, right? Wasn't it? It was deceit. It was his love for money. And that's something that's going to catch up to him later as we talk about. Okay? So let's go to our next passage here in Luke chapter 22, verse 3 to 6. Luke chapter 22, verse 3 to 6. It says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented, watching for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. You know, to sell Jesus into the hands of the high officials and ultimately betray Jesus after this guy was walking with Jesus for three years, it's like the unimaginable sin, right? I don't know about you guys, but I would say, like, you know what? I would never betray Jesus. I would never do it. There's no way. I see him do miracles. I've seen him do things for me. I've seen him cure people. This guy is the son of God. How can I betray him? I could never do that. But, you know, guys, I say that because I think as disciples, sometimes we, if we're not careful— We can start categorizing sins. We can start categorizing sins. You know, I still do it from time to time. You know, I have to be remembered to be mindful of that. You know, when we do that, we kind of start separating our sin from other people's sin. Like, man, I didn't do that. Man, I did my marriage, you know, pure, so I didn't, you know, we didn't fall into impurity. So I can get very judgmental. Or you know what, I, I, you know, I didn't really steal at work. I'm an honest guy. I punch in when I'm supposed to and I punch out. You know, I would never lie to my family. So you start kind of categorizing yourself if you're not careful. You know, I'm not like Judas because I wouldn't have betrayed Jesus. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 6.23. You know, last time I checked, death is death. 
Death is death. Little sins, big sins, all produce the exact very same thing, which is death. And there doesn't seem to appear to be degrees of death. A dead man is a dead man, no matter how beautiful his grave, right? Sin is sin. And sometimes I think as disciples, even myself included, we got to be very careful, like, in God's mind. We learn this when we do the Bible studies. But sin is sin. We have to repent, amen? So we got one more passage here I want to show you guys here in Matthew 27, talking about Judas in verse 3 to 5. Matthew 27, verse 3 to 5. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. You know, up to this point in the story, all the things that Judas did, all his shortcomings, they're all common to us, right? He lied. He was deceitful. He stole money. And when you think about it, we all have weaknesses. We all have different things where we all struggle with different things that Satan knows how to exploit, right, if we're not careful. And he enters through us, and he makes us doubt. He makes us distracted. But guys, the greatest sin that Judas did wasn't his greed. It wasn't giving into Satan. It wasn't even betraying Jesus. That wasn't his greatest sin. You know what his greatest sin was? It was his failure to repent. His biggest sin, the one that costed everything, wasn't all the things that he did, but it was his failure to repent. You know, the other 11 apostles that were closest to Jesus, all in the Bible has accounts recorded of them, uh, of their sins, which include unbelief, the disciples' lust for power and position, not being mindful of the things uh, of the Spirit, but of man. They all left Jesus when the soldiers grabbed him. Remember that? They all left. Jesus was there by himself. Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three times in one night. But Peter, on the other hand, he didn't regret his denials. He wept bitterly, and then he remembered Jesus' love for him. And he trusts in his mercy, right? And what did he ultimately do? He repented. He repented. Judas' only regret is only intensified and kept him focused inwardly, and he didn't see his eyes on God. Isn't that scary? Isn't that scary that that one sin, the little still sin of greed, the sin of lying, the sin of deceit, ultimately costed Jesus' life? And so Judas' sin destroyed his capacity to love. You know, and the fact, the crazy thing when I think about it is, Judas, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, right? He knew. He didn't tell anybody. But see, that's the opposite. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he didn't say anything. He loved Judas so much that he was going to let him betray him. You know, I, I remember uh, a few weeks ago, did you guys go to the Inspire Conference? Who went there? All right, good number. So I was packing for the Inspire conference, and uh, I was trying to be a good husband. I uh, uh, I washed I washed all the clothes, uh, I dried them, 
and I folded them, and I put them back into the drawer. I did my husband duties, right? So I packed them all up, and the night before the Inspire conference, we started packing, and uh, I'm like, babe, let's start packing. So we're packing and packing, and then she's like going to the dirty hamper uh, to look for something. I was like, Norris, what are you looking for? She was like, I'm looking for my favorite shirt. I'm like, your favorite shirt? There's like, I, I literally washed all the clothes, babe. There's no way that it's in the dirty hamper. And so we just go back and forth, back and forth. And then my pride's kind of, I'm just getting upset because I'm just like, this, it's impossible. I washed all the clothes the night before. So we started getting into like little bump. And it, it turned out she was wearing the shirt. That's why she couldn't find it. She was wearing the shirt. But I say that because, but I say that not to say that this is her fault by any means. I, I didn't do a good job of even trying to be patient with her. I didn't even do a good job of trying to, like, you know, draw her out. I didn't really do a good job of being humble with her, right? I was getting really prideful. I was getting really defensive. I thought I knew, and sure enough, I didn't wash that, clo- that, that, that shirt because she was wearing it. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's what sin does. It blinds you. And I was like, gosh. But you know what? In the moment, I had a choice. I had a choice to still stay prideful because I was still upset, right? I was like, ah, oh, you're wrong. Or I, I was just like, you know what, babe? I'm sorry. And that's what I did. I, for that day, I apologized, and I said, Narice, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't, I didn't think that you would wear this shirt. And so that's on me, not on you. And you know what happened? Her guards went down. Her defenses went down. She start, stopped being so offensive. And she just said... It's okay. She, uh, she forgave me. And so that's what it does. That's, that's what could happen. And that's where repentance comes in. And I just share that story, not to lift myself up, because there's been a lot of other times where I didn't take that route. Or I just stuck to my guns, and it just got worse. You know, when sin is present, love is absent. Right? When sin is absent, love is present. You can't have both. Remember that cup illustration I showed you guys? It's one or the other. And so maybe you guys can relate. Maybe for you it's something else. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your stubbornness. Maybe it's your deceit. Whatever it is, maybe you guys can relate. But sooner or later, you're going to have to repent, like Jesus says. Amen? So I have a quick application here for you guys. If you want to write this down, it says, How can you be more intentional in promoting, promoting more love and not missing the mark of your relationship. Missing the mark. Remember we talked about that? Is there any areas where you can repent and make that relationship better? Think about it. You guys know. You guys know which relationships those are. My dad, my mom, my dating relationship, your coworker. What can you do? How can you be more intentional to promote more love? Amen? And I just want to say this, you know, and I think a quick uh, question to ask yourself when you're thinking of this question, if it's hard, is does your love permeate? Does it overflow like that cup? Is that cup overflowing with love instead of sin? How do you know? Just think about your relationship. Is it 90% encouragement and 10% not? Is it 80% encouragement most of the time but 20% not? What, are, what is that 20%? If you're not feeling loved in your relationship with God and how he loves you, or you don't feel loved in your relationships, it, be, it could be because you're missing the mark. 
It could be because of a sin. Maybe you're not loving that person that God is telling you to love. Okay? Let's go to uh, my second point here. Chapter 2 is secret 2 is forgiving love. So how ironic, right? So we got destroying love, and then we got forgiving love. You know, love secret 2 is built on the truth that until we see our own need for forgiveness, we will never be able to love in the way that we should or could. When we think about ourselves, we, we start getting very critical of other people, right? Start getting very critical. If you tend to become a, a critical person, I think this is a great point for you. But when we understand the vastness of God's forgiveness for us, then we're going to be able to forgive. Then we're going to be able to love others. And this is the point that I got from this chapter, and you guys can go back and read it. To the degree that a person perceives how much forgiveness they need and have been given, that same degree a person will have the capacity to love and to forgive. Let's go to our next passage in Matthew 28. So I didn't put this one up there, so it's kind of long. So if you guys want to just turn in your Bibles, your phones. Matthew chapter 28, verse 21 to 35. Say amen when you get there. Any amens, you guys there? All right. Is there no such thing there? Oh, you know what? I'm glad you guys are great guys. You guys are Bereans. Thank you. Where is that chapter? Is it 18? Is it somebody confirmed? Is it 18? Okay, chapter 18. Thank you, Betty. I was testing you guys. I was testing you guys. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. I was wondering why I didn't hear any amens. I'm like, guys, don't be shy. Say amen. Hey, nobody can go because it's not a real ver- real chapter. Yeah, yeah, don't listen to my version. Yeah, don't do the DK version. Do the NIV version or God's version. So can you guys say amen when you guys get there? All right. So it says, then Peter, with a parable of the unmerciful servant, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. All this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's masters took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw that happen, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers, jailer, jailers, excuse me, 
to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. So when you, I mean, you guys have read this passage. I mean, what? those are some pretty strong words from Jesus, isn't it? Those are pretty strong words. Jesus is making a strong statement that includes a command. It's not just a good idea. He used a parable, a parable that's extreme to reveal to us an extreme lesson. And this parable is showing to forgive from the heart. You know, so I want to ask for four volunteers real quick. And all I'm going to ask you to do is come up on stage and dance. I'm kidding. I just need four volunteers to help me read something. If I can get four volunteers. So anybody? One right there. Two, three, four. Great. So I'm going to go ahead, and go ahead and go to this little portion. So my first volunteer, whoever wants to step up and read, uh, read that first paragraph for me. So this is from the book. If you want to follow along, I pulled this exactly from the book. I didn't want to translate, translate this in any other way. I felt like this was so good, so simple, but it was so profound. So why don't you go ahead and um, you want to read the first paragraph, including the question? Awesome. Thank you. So what this page is talking about is try to put yourself in that unmerciful servant's position shoes. Like, why would you do something like that? If somebody forgave me of all my debt, all my student loans, all the things that I own of debt, and someone just says, okay, you're forgiven. And at first they were going to actually take away my wife, my kids, and my house, and they let me go. Oh, my goodness, I would be super grateful. So why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, it says here that maybe he really never believed the debt was canceled, right? Maybe he believed that, hey, when he went back home, the guy was going to come back after him. So he was like, you know what? I'm going to take all the money I can get. Maybe that's the reason. Uh, Let me get the second person to read the second paragraph. Go for it. Dang, isn't that good? So if you change the story a little bit, maybe some time has passed. It doesn't say in the scripture if it's right after. But what if some time passed and he just forgot? He's like, man, I forgot the debt he gave me. Right? So now we're going to take that context. That's what would happen if we would kind of put ourselves in the unmerciful servant's position. Now let's go ahead and put uh, this next next, uh, example. It's going to be a real-life example. Let's go ahead and read the first paragraph again. Who was it? Go for it, man. Man, isn't that good? You know, and some of us, guys, it's hard, you know, depending on our upbringing, our life. Some of us have a condemned soul. You know, we really 
really feel like, man, I don't know if God really forgave me for everything. I don't know. I still feel guilty every day. And if that's the case, you know, you're not alone. There's a lot of times that I felt like that, you know, and I needed to get hope. You guys ever heard of grief recovery? You know, I strongly encourage you to take that uh, grief recovery class. You know, the best thing that happened in my life was uh, becoming a disciple. Amen? But another great thing that I, it's up there is also taking grief recovery. It has changed the, the, um, the outcome of my life, the trajectory. And I, I was able to finally let things go. Amen? And then if I can have the last brother read the last paragraph for me. Both of them are good. That, and that one's probably a little bit more common. You just have forgotten. You know, so if you ever catch yourself being critical of somebody, critical of leadership, or critical of your coworkers, or critical of your boss, critical of the ways things are being done, you got to ask yourself, do you remember, do I remember how much I've been forgiven? Why am I holding a grudge against this person? And I want you guys to ask yourself, and sometimes my mind can get there too. I can start getting critical, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, let me just hold up. Let me figure something out. Okay, I'm being critical because, you know, I've been, you know, and it happens. Sometimes you're on the road, and I'm, like, getting angry. It's always the other person's fault when you're driving, right? It's, like, always their fault, and I'm just like, why am I so critical today? So I have to check my heart, amen? You know, there's a quote that I love about forgiveness. It's by Lewis B. Smeets. It says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. Isn't that so true, though? A lot of times we think, like, oh, we're going to hold this grudge against this person, and we're going to just make them suffer, but really it's, it's us that's suffering. It's really us. You know, they say that uh, um, bitterness is acting like um, you're, gonna be, you're holding all this anger against this person, and you think they're going to feel it, but you're actually just drinking your own poison. Right? That's what they say. And you know what? With marriage, I love my wife. Marriage can be at times amazing and great. And I love my wife. She's so patient and so good. And she's the opposite of me. And I feel like God has designed her just for me. But there's other times where it's hard. And I'll just be honest. Like, there's times where I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is tough. How do I navigate myself from this? And a friend of mine, she's in Australia. She sent me this um, app. It's called Lasting Marriage about just different things that they're learning in their marriage. And she talked about the difference between mental forgiveness versus emotional forgiveness. And I was like, whoa. And I read that article. It blew my mind. It says mental forgiveness is something that you just kind of acknowledge. You say, you know what, I'm sorry. You know, or I know I'm supposed to forgive you, so I'm going to go ahead and do it because God caused me to do it or for whatever reason. So you go ahead and forgive them. But you guys ever think you guys forgive somebody, and then next time they come back and they get your anger, you still got all this bitterness? You're like, ugh. You're like, but I thought I forgave them. But you're still like, you know, the back of your heart, you're still upset. You still didn't let it go. That's because it was mental forgiveness. You know, but versus emotional forgiveness. Emotional forgiveness is completely different. Uh, emotional forgiveness is different because it requires empathy. Empathy. And the definition of empathy is the action of understanding and being aware of and being sensitive to and vicariously experiencing the feelings and thoughts 
an experience of another. And so, in essence, it's basically saying you're trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Like, how would they feel? I'm always bitter at my boss, but how does he feel? I wonder if I was in his shoes. Oh, man, I have a lot to manage. My CEO is on me, and I have to manage my team. And I just got a divorce. You know, if you think like that, it helps. Or when I think about Narisa, I'm like, you know what? She has a long day. She just got her master's degree. She's been in school all her life. And now she just finally started working. Marriage is new. School is new. Everything is new. Living with a man is new, right? She's lived with her, entire, her family her entire life. So I have to try to empathize. I can't just say I'm compassionate. Compassionate is trying to think like, you know what? I can see where you're coming from. But empathy is like, you know what? I'm going to put myself in your shoes. And I'm going to stay there until I feel empathetic. Amen? That's what empathy is. It's a difference. There's one that's head knowledge, but empathy requires work. And I want to just say this last part before we uh, finish off here, but one common mistake, common mistake in belief, is that forgiveness is letting the other person off the hook. That's not what that means. When someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, it doesn't mean they're off the hook. It doesn't mean that. You know, there's a lot of, like, abuse victims, right, who've been hurt. It doesn't mean that whoever was the abuser was okay what they did. It isn't. Right? It's not that. Forgiveness does not mean that we have to approve of sinful action. Forgiveness takes the failings of someone else, and you're going to lift it up to God because it's out of my control. And then finally, forgiveness is not the same as justice. It doesn't require reconciliation. That's a tough one. Because you would sometimes feel like, well, I can't forgive you because we're not reconciled. I can't forgive you because I don't think you get what I'm saying. I can't forgive you because you just don't seem like you want forgiveness. Right? That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness comes from yourself. You know, there's an article I read, and it was crazy. It was about this victim says, but the victim can still come to a place of empathy and understanding. Whether I forgive or don't forgive isn't going to affect whether the justice is going to happen. Forgiveness happens inside my skin. Basically saying that it comes from me. And there's, all, there's lots of research, guys. We don't have time today. But science backs it up that when you, do, when you are more forgiving, that it helps with mental health. That helps reduces anxiety. It helps with your blood pressure, your levels, your blood sugar, everything. You guys can look it up. But spiritually, it does the same thing. For, same thing, It sets you free, amen? So I want to read this last thing here in this, this story. And I'm going to just go ahead and read it for the sake of time. It says, members of Charleston, South Carolina church was gathered for prayer and Bible study one evening in 2015 when a stranger walked in and joined them. After about one hour, the newcomer stood up, raised a gun, and shot nine people. In a court hearing, family of those who were killed expressed forgiveness of the shooter. Dylan Roof. One of those who spoke was Nadine Collier. Her mother, Ethel Lance, was killed in the tragedy. I just wanted everyone to know, I forgive you, she said. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine that? We're having a church service like this. Someone comes in and shoots all over the place and nine people get hurt. And some people die. 
I cannot imagine. But isn't this how all of us as Christians need to respond? You know, I can't say, like, if my wife or one of my loved ones um, died and got murdered in front of me, it would be very difficult for me to forgive, right? It would be so difficult, and I hope that I never have to go through that battle. But if I did, God says that, hey, we need to be willing, amen? We have to be willing. There is a level of willingness because we understand that God has forgiven us. That's what's going to make the world turn their heads. That's like when I read this, I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian like you guys, and I can't even fathom how she can forgive somebody like that. Imagine people that aren't Christians, that don't understand this kind of love. They're like, what? You will forgive this person? But that's how the world's going to see Jesus, amen? That, that's how we're going to be a light in the darkness. So I have a quick application for you guys. You know, how different would your life be if you were to forgive this person? How different would your life be if you were to forgive this person? You know who that is. It could be from your childhood. It could be right now. And what's keeping you from forgiving? What is it? You guys know. Is it maybe some fear? Maybe it's an excuse that you have. Maybe it's anger, it's pride. It could be whatever. But imagine, guys, you know, as we close... Imagine if you were to be able to forgive all the people, all the hurts. You know, the Bible says love, you know, counts no records of wrong, right? Imagine if you can do that. You guys ever watched the movie, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, what is it called? Saul Shank Redemption. There you go. Uh, the guy who escapes prison, right? When someone leaves prison, maybe hopefully not in escaping. <laughs> maybe you don't escape, but maybe your sentence and your sentence is over. Escaping sounds bad. That's probably really thrilling too. But let's say your sentence is over and you finish your term. How, how much freedom would I feel like I would experience? You would feel so set free. I would feel liberated. I would feel like, man, I get another chance at life. I would be ecstatic. It would be refreshing. It would be encouraging. That's how it's going to feel if you're able to forgive the people that hurt you. Amen? So let's go ahead and break into uh, groups. I would say no more than three. And so you guys could really share here. I have some discussion questions for here uh, that you guys can kind of go over and answer amongst yourself. Amen? Love you guys. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.